Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. What on earth is going on in our world? Has anyone ever wondered what on the earth is wrong when they look at what's going on in the world today? And let me just ask you a question. For those of us who have wondered what on earth is wrong, where did we get the idea that something should be better? Where did we get the idea to pursue things like love? To pursue things like justice? To pursue things like happiness? And let me just say this as a foundational Christian confession. We say that if not for God, we would have no idea of better. If not for God, we would have no idea of anything to hope for. I like what C.S. Lewis said rather candidly one time in Mere Christianity. He said this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Today in our broken world, today in a world filled full of hostility, today in a world filled with those who are grasping and looking for hope, today in our broken world, I want to share today as a Christian preacher that we have a word from the only God in Matthew. So would you mind taking your Bible today and let's join ourselves to what our God desires to say to us in Matthew Chapter 5, we're going to be looking today at one verse, verse number 4. And as we think about this one word that our God has for us, let me just say that His word for us is a good word. His word for us is a word of comfort, telling us that it is those who mourn that are the blessed ones. And even the fact that we have a God in heaven calling us to Himself, a God in heaven telling us in the midst of our brokenness that we were made for more, that there is this longing in our heart that things must be more. There is a God in heaven who has come to us to tell us, to show us, indeed, there is more. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we engage ourselves to hear your word proclaimed, we dare not do it alone. We come to this holy assembly, this holy time, desiring, O oh God, you to speak to us from your word. At the outset, Father, we pray, asking you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Let me tell you a personal testimony very quickly. I, as a young boy, was exposed to mourning very early. My family has been a family that has always been laced with tragedy. And I won't go into the details of my family, but I will share with you a very mournful story that I cannot forget. One summer, while I was in high school, I took a job working for a funeral home. My brother got the job for me, and so I worked at a funeral home my senior year of high school. And out of all the funerals that I served, there is one funeral that is burned into my memory. One day we received a call that a young boy, probably ages two or three, I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he was quite young, 
had very tragically died. So the funeral home that I was working at, we received his body and we were responsible for his funeral. And the line of mourners was unimaginably and long. And seeing the mother there, I don't remember the father much, but I can have one memory of this mother, blonde-headed, all dressed in black, standing there receiving the mourners for her son, standing beside a casket, not much bigger than the size of a baby's bassinet, is something that even I, as supposed to be one who's containing himself, keeping it together as a young boy, was almost unimaginable and unspeakable for me. And after visitation one night, I was doing my duties to prepare the building for the funeral the next day. And I came upon the funeral director. He was standing there, alone, next to the body of this little child. It was just he in the room. I came upon him. He was there standing over the child. And he was very meticulously taking his hands and putting the child's clothes back in order where they had been touched making sure that the little hat that he had on was just perfectly right, making sure that every hair from the little boy's head was right into place, the lights were low, and he never took his eyes off of the child. And he noticed my approach. And without glancing up at me, he said to me, he said, I have been doing this job for over 25 years. I have seen much heartache. I have seen much sadness. I've seen many children like this pass through this funeral parlor. While he was wiping tears away from his eyes, he said, but this moment, the death of a child never gets any easier for me to deal with. What kind of world do we live in where children die? This story that I have that is one that I never forget is a story that can be repeated 10,000 other times. Maybe you have a story that's like it with 10,000 different circumstances, just as tragic, just as sad. And it's this world that we live in where the unexpected happens. It's this world we live in where tragically there is a risk of death for all of us, even the most precious of us. It's this world that receives a word God. It's this world that this God has come down into saying that the way to blessedness is through mourning. Never forget this. Never get over this. Jesus has come into our darkness without any shielding from the darkness to overcome the darkness once and for all. We have before us today the Bible, and we have to ask ourselves a question. Is there any answer in the Bible for a longing heart? The Bible tells us the way to blessedness, but does it give a reason for our experience of grief? According to the Scriptures, listen closely, all of the problems that this world faces, from sickness to tsunamis, from disease to death, all the world's problems are all summed up in one word. Listen carefully. The one word is sin. The diagnosis for the world's problem is sin. And in the midst of that diagnosis, there is a remedy for sin. See, Jesus didn't just come and give us the diagnosis. He, come, he has come Himself 
to be the remedy for sin. The remedy is the person of our one Lord Jesus Christ. And what did He do? He Himself, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could then become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus has come into our sadness. He has come in Matthew into our brokenness. And He has a message. And the message to us is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, He has come and taught us so that the longings of our heart can be turned. And so now we can look at our mourning and we can look at the loss. We can look at the tragedy. And now we have a prayer. And the prayer that He has taught us to pray is Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And we are longing because Jesus has come. He has given us this hope. He has given us this expectation of a better day that's coming. And so we are longing for the day when our God will come do what He says that He's going to do. And He says that He's going to come and He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. The day when death shall be no more. The day where there'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. The day when finally He who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Don't you love the way the Bible ends in Revelation? The last word of the Bible in Revelation, what's it say? Jesus, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and then Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And then the last word of the Bible is, Amen. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We know that there's a better day coming, but what about until then? What about until then? Until then. We have this sure word from our Lord to carry us through. And what's He say to us? He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Look at this statement just for a moment. It's a strange statement if you think about it. The way to blessedness is through mourning. Doesn't this sort of strike you as odd? Wouldn't we rather just leave the mourning part out and just have nothing but blessedness? No, Jesus says the way to blessedness is through mourning. And then what does this mean? If the way to blessedness is through mourning, then we have to ask the question because we want to know what Jesus says. What on earth does He mean, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted? So today, from this passage, I want to give you three truths about Matthew 5, verse 4 as we learn the answer to every longing heart. So number one this morning, number one, mourning is the way to blessedness. And you say, where would you get that from? Well, it's obvious, right? This is the way that I'm not smart enough to come up with some things. This is the way that I preach. It's right there in black and white. Maybe yours is red ink. It says it. Mourning is the way to blessedness. So what does this mean? Here's what it means. Every heart that mourns, every heart that mourns, is a heart that is longing for something more. There must be more. And you all know it. There must be more, and we all know it. Otherwise, we would not mourn. Think about it. We mourn over what is because of what could have been. In the midst of a world that's filled with mourning, remember this, Jesus comes. The Word becomes flesh. He dwells among us to show us His glory and then declare that He is the satisfaction of every one of our heart's desires. And this Jesus, who is our satisfaction, He tells us that the way to blessedness comes 
through mourning. And so then we have to ask the question, what kind of mourning is it that Jesus is talking about? What kind of mourning is Jesus talking about here? If we're going to ask that question, we need to know how to mourn because the mourning that we have is the way to blessedness. So what kind of mourning is Jesus referring to? So let's ask the question of the text. Let's let the Bible speak for itself to determine what kind of mourning Jesus is talking about. Look at this. What have we said? We're, we're looking in Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Here Jesus has come. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. He's come to teach. He's come to proclaim. He's come to heal. He's come as what Revelation has said. He is coming to make all things new. So in Matthew chapter 5, He starts the Sermon on the Mount with these eight sayings, these Beatitudes, these blessed statements. And we said last week that every saying in these Beatitudes is a link in the golden chain of blessedness. That's what we said. We said that every one of these go together like links in a chain. And you put them all together and you have this pathway to blessedness. And so last week we looked at the first link in the chain and we determined that this is the key to them all. The first of the Beatitudes is what? It is verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we said that this one, like I said, was the key to the rest of the Beatitudes. And so last week, if you remember, we learned that one who is poor in spirit is a person who is brought to a realization that they are hopeless without God. They realize that they have nothing that they can do to achieve the righteousness of God, and so they are resting upon God's grace to help them achieve righteousness. At the end of themselves, they've come to realize that God is beautifully holy and that they are broken and in need of rescue. And it's then after the poor in spirit that we have the next beatitude coming together, forming this chain. And what's the next one? Jesus talks about those who mourn. If the root of all grief in the world is sin, then the mourners that are blessed of God who are those who are mourning over sin. Think about this just for a minute. We use this language, when we think about mourning, when we think about grief, we use this language of death. That's what we say. Oftentimes, if I were to say, when's the last time that you really grieved? When's the last time that you really mourned? You could probably go back to me and say that I remember the day that this person died, my loved one here, my husband, my wife, my child, whoever it was. Think about the way that the Bible talks about sin. The Bible says that sin is what brought death into the world. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible has this language that we are dead in our transgressions and sin. And so we understand then that if the root of all the grief in the world is sin, then the mourners that are blessed of God are those who are mourning over sin. A newspaper article in London was seeking the opinions on the question, what is wrong with the world? That's quite a statement, right? Wanting to know. Asking this article, periodical, to be taken out saying, what is wrong with the world? Well, G.K. Chesterton, the English writer and poet, he replied, dear sirs, I am. What on earth is wrong with the world? I am what's wrong with the world. You are what is wrong with with the world. Let me ask you a question this morning. When is the last time that you truly had grief over your own 
sinfulness? When is the last time that you wept over your sin? When's the last time that you were so overwhelmed by the majestic holiness of God that you spent time before Him in deep contrition? Now there's a word we don't hear much anymore, right? Contrition. What in the world does it mean to be contrite? You know what it means? If we were to look it up this morning in the Oxford Dictionary or Webster's or Dictionary.com or whatever you fancy, if we were to look it up this morning, we would probably find that to be contrite means that you have a feeling of remorse. You're sorry about something. You deeply regret something. Or the other word that it says is penitent, but we, know, we don't even know what that means either, so let's just take penitent out. Let's just say you are remorseful about something. But that word contrition or contrite, you know that it comes from a Latin word that literally means to ground down. So when is the last time that you felt the weight of your sin crushing you? Jesus says mourning over sinfulness is the way to blessedness. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. Paul understood this. He's an apostle. He was with the Lord. He is interpreting what the Lord said. He is showing us who Jesus is. And so Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. Now let me tell you something about the church at Corinth. If you ever do a Bible study, by the way, there's some churches that are named certain things. I don't know why anybody would want to name their church Corinth Baptist Church. Nothing against if you know a Corinth church. but I, if Just reading the text, you know, it's like Laodicea. Why do you want to be named a church Laodicea when they're the lukewarm church? Why do you want to be named a Corinthian church? If you look at the Bible of the church in Corinth, they got a lot of trouble. I'm not going to go to Corinth Church, even though my first place that I ever started ministry was Corinth Baptist Church. Anyway, that's another story for another day. The Corinthian church was filled with saints who had forgotten what it means for them to grieve over their own sinfulness. And so they got all kinds of stuff going on. They got a guy sleeping with his stepmother. And the church is like, yeah, well, that's just Tommy or Frankie. Sorry, Tommy. That's just Frankie or whoever this is out there. No one really knows what he's doing. He's just doing this thing. But they're tolerating it. And then they've got believers who are backbiting each other and calling each other, saying, no, 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 I prefer this preacher over this preacher. And, then Paul, and so Paul writes this letter to them saying that they're tolerating sin in their own hearts and in the hearts of others. And so he writes this letter to them to show them the seriousness of sin and the glory of the Gospel. Paul then wrote the first letter. And then he wrote another letter. And in the second letter, he talks about what happened in the first letter. And I love this. Listen to what the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Listen to this. This is what Paul's saying. He wrote this hard letter saying, you know, you should know better. You're Christians. This is not how Christians act. And so this is what he said in the first letter. The second letter, after all the dust has settled, then he comes back and he writes another letter to them. Listen to what he says. He says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. Wow! Stop right there. Stop. Stop reading. What? Paul said, my letter grieved you, didn't it? He said, the only thing that I'm sad about is that it didn't grieve you long enough. Keep going. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into Repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. 
Listen to this next phrase. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Can you hear anything that sounds familiar in 2 Corinthians chapter 7? Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. What does Jesus say? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now listen carefully. I want us to understand this morning that when we are mournful over our sin, we're worshiping. When we are mournful over our sinfulness, we are in fact worshiping. Now that's not what we hear, right? Oftentimes we associate worship with singing. But what about worship with weeping? What about worship with tears? I agree with John Stott who said, there are such things as Christian tears and too few of us ever weep them. You know what the tears of the saints are? The tears of the saints are the tears that wash the world. The tears of the saints over their own sinfulness. What do we do? We teach the world that all the problems that the world faced are summed up in one word. And the one word that characterizes every problem, every heartache, every hurt that the world feels is summarized in one word. Sin. You see, when we come together and we weep over our own sin, we teach the world to own our tragedy. Not to seek some scapegoat, not to pass it down and to put some label, some diagnosis on it. No, the one label that God has given us, the reason for all of the world's problems, there's one label, there's one problem, it's wide-sweeping, it's overarching, and it is one word, three letters. Sin. You see, we as Christians, when we mourn over our own sin, we teach the world to call sin what it is. And then what do we do? We don't just simply say sin, sin, sin. We then invite the world to take all of the griefs, all of the sorrows, and then give it to the One who takes all of our grief, all of our sorrows, and makes them His very What did the Bible say about Jesus? He's a man of sorrows. It's interesting. If you go and you look at the Bible, there's very few occasions where you ever see Jesus laughing. Now, do I think Jesus laughed? Sure I did, because I don't, I don't think He's a stoic. I don't think that He just walks around. Think about the paintings, the old paintings of Jesus. You ever see a smile on His face? Looking, he looks like some of y'all, as a matter of fact. Just stoic looking on your face. I think Jesus laughed. Surely He did. But the picture that we have in the text of Jesus, and there's different ways we could look and you know, say Jesus, He was saying these little cutty things to the Pharisees and He was joking. I think Jesus had a great sense of humor, but the Bible doesn't ever say, and Jesus belly laughed. Wouldn't you love it if it did? But it doesn't. What do we see Jesus doing often? We see Him weeping. One of the shortest verses in the English. One of the most powerful. Two words. Jesus. Where do we see him weeping? Outside of the grave of one of his loved ones. You see, Jesus, as the man of sorrows, he came to teach us to weep. And as our Savior, he comes and he takes our tears. And he takes every tear that we cry and he stores them in a bottle. And here's what he promises weeping may be for the night, 
But in the morning, there is coming undeniable joy. In the morning, there is coming undeniable and unspeakable, unimaginable joy. So we as Christians, we come as our Savior has come. We come and the hope that we offer to the world, even though our hope may be stained with tears, is that there is a better day that is coming. It is coming because of a Savior who has come to us. And the hope that we offer the world, even through tears, is a better day when Jesus will come and bring us this better day. You see, Jesus gives a broken world hope. He gives a broken world hope that a better day is coming. But until then, we are those who are between the two realities of this King who has given us this Word in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartache. We can go on the graveside. We can see the grace of God is even there. We can go to the deepest, darkest depression of our own souls and realize that there is no hole too deep, that His love is not there to reach out and extend to us His great gift of mercy. But until then, we are between these two realities of a King who has come and a King who is coming. And so then, what do we do? We then... Look to the world through our tears with eyes that are filled with hope. And as we then look at the world, we then, number two this morning, we will weep with those who weep. Christianity is not just a religion that shelters us and says, you know, you're not going to have any, any hard times. You're not going to have any tough times. You, you may go bankrupt if you follow Jesus. You may get killed if you follow. This is really what it means to follow Jesus. But that's not all that it means. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. So we understand that we are between this word, blessed are those who mourn, with this hope. See that this, the tense of the verb here is this future tense that there's one day that's coming when we will be comforted, but until then, we weep with those who weep. And we who know salvation have a ministry to the world. A ministry to the world. A compassionate ministry of reconciliation. And let me just tell you, far too often, I'm afraid that we as Christians forget that all of the world's problems is sin. And then we forget too that Jesus has come into the world to save us from sin. You know what the homosexual's problem is? Sin problem. You know what the child molester's problem is? A sin problem. You know what the drunkard's problem is? A sin problem. You know who the Wall Street executive or Wall Street executive, wherever, the guy who's stealing money from everybody, you know what their problem is? Sin. One word, sin. Jesus has come into the world that is broken and marred with sin to save us from sin. And too often I am afraid that we get into our little holy huddles and we forget the cost of what Paul says when he says, I have become all things to all people that by some means I may save some. Do you know how hard that is? Too often times I'm afraid that we have an idea of total disregard to those who are caught and blinded by their own sinfulness. Now listen carefully to me. I don't think that we mean this when we sing this song, but you know, we, 
and there's 10,000 other songs like it. It's a song that we all love. You know, the song, I'll Fly Away, that we sing. I love the song. I really do. But that kind of attitude, I think if we're not careful, we can let that song captivate our minds and say, you know, I just can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. Whereas the attitude that we should have is if the attitude of Charles Spurgeon and, and others who said that if the damned must go to hell, let them go dragging us by their heels. In other words, this whole attitude that we are going to do whatever it takes, like Paul said, to win those who are entrapped and entangled with sin. Just imagine the life of our Savior for just a moment, even taking the, the spit of another man upon his face, even taking the blows of another man upon his cheek. Why? Also that he could seek and save the lost. And if we're not too careful with the way that we think about how we do church, with the way that we think about how we interact with the world, with the way that we think about the songs that we sing, the sermons that we preach, all the rest, we leave this whole idea that we are just ready to disregard those who are lost and unsaved and just basically say with every ounce that we mean this and we say that and we mean it, we say to hell with them. Thankfully, Jesus didn't say that. Thankfully, Jesus came seeking Saving lost ones. You know what else I'm glad for? I'm glad that Jesus has then come to us and left us in this world. What did He say? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. What did He say? Right after He said the wonderful Beatitude statements, what's He say? You. Plural. You. You all. You who are My disciples. You are the salt of the earth. You. Verse 14 the light of the world. I am so glad that Jesus has left us in this world so that we can be salt and light. Listen, because the headache that we have here, and it is a headache, wouldn't it be easier if we just got saved and just went to heaven? Wouldn't, that be, wouldn't you love if that's what our Lord did for us? But the heartache that we have here, listen carefully, is preparing us for glory. It is preparing us for this expectant hope. And here's the truth that we have. is There may be this morning that's now, but there's joy that's coming in the morning. Here's what we say. That anything that we experience here is nothing compared to what we'll experience when He comes bringing His kingdom. And listen, on the other side of glory, we're going to spend a whole lot more time there than we'll ever spend here. Aren't you glad for that? And I just want to ask you a question. When have you wept over your own sin? When have you wept over the sins of others? Oh, if, if only it were just so simple. Or maybe it is simple. It's just a sin problem. We try to complicate things and say the problem in the world is the socialist. The problem in the world is the communist. The problem in the world is the capitalist. The problem in the world is the Republican. The problem in the world is the Democrat. Things are so much more simple than that problem in the world, the reason for all of the world's heartache is sin. Does the sin of the world bring you to tears? Do we have the attitude of the psalmist when he said this in Psalm 119, my eyes shed streams of tears because men do not keep your law. You see, oftentimes we use this language right in church. We say we are to love the sinner, hate the sin. That's what we say, right? Love the sinner, 
hate the sin. That's just what we say. This is how we talk. But let me just say this. It's hard to hate someone if you're shedding tears for them. Matthew 23, look at it closely in your own time. It's interesting to see that after Jesus pronounces woes of judgment, He weeps over a city that He's going to bring down judgment upon. You see, it was a motivation of love that sent Jesus to the world to die on a cross. And it is a motivation of love that sends us to go out into the world for the whosoevers. Love must be our motivation. I remember reading about a young medical student who was listening to a speaker by the name of Robert Moffat. He was the African pioneer. This young physician was at this meeting and Moffat said, he said this as his testimony, he said, many a morning have I stood on the porch of my house and looking northward have seen the smoke arise from villages that have never heard of Jesus Christ. I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ Without God and without hope in the world, the smoke of a thousand villages, the smoke of a thousand villages. The young medical student left the meeting and all through the night, those words of Moffat kept him awake. The smoke of a thousand villages, the smoke of a thousand villages. And so he felt the call to Africa. He left and he spent the rest of his life serving the people of Africa as a pioneer in medical missions. You see, this doctor would be laid to rest in Westminster Abbey, heralded as a national hero for his labor in the world for Christ. And I want to read to you the words on the grave of this doctor. Brought by faithful hands over land and sea, here rests David Livingston. Missionary, traveler, philanthropist. Born March 19, 1813 at Blantyre, Lachenshire. Died May the 1st, 1873 at Chitambo's village, Ulala. For 30 years, his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize the native races, to explore the undiscovered secrets, to abolish the desolating slave trade of Central Africa, where with his last words he wrote, All I can add, my solitude is may heaven's rich blessings come down upon every one American, English, or Turk who will help heal this open sore of the world. Very quickly, let me tell you why we mourn with those who mourn. We mourn with those who mourn because we know that joy is coming in the morning. Look at the last half of verse 4. What's it say? Blessed are those who mourn. That's the negative. Now here comes the positive. For they shall be comforted. Remember who it is that's saying it. It's not just anyone. It's not just some rabbi up on a hill. It's not just some speaker up on a hill proclaiming this. It is the very God who spoke the world into existence. He said the blessed ones are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. And let me just say this. Number three, mourners rejoice with those who rejoice. And let me just say this. There is no comfort in this world like the comfort that Jesus gives. Nothing this morning, beloved, will satisfy your heart will satisfy your soul like Jesus. You see, because Jesus has come into our chaos, Jesus has come into our hurt, 
Jesus has come into our brokenness. And He didn't just say, this is broken, this is broken. He has taken what is broken and is taking what is broken and putting it back together, mending it back in place, making all that is wrong with the world right again. He is our comfort. He has said that one day there will be no more hurt, no more heartache, no more sin in the world. And the way that He dealt with sin was not just from some distance, but by giving His own life as the full payment for all of the world's sin. That whosoever believes in Him would never perish, but have everlasting life. Our message to the world is this message. And listen, it's a good message that we have to the world. The message that we share with the world is blessedness. Yes, even blessedness, though your eyes may now be filled with tears. But a message of blessedness that can never be washed away, no matter the deluge, no matter the amount of tears that come from your eyes. You see, Christ is our comfort. Because He is the only one, as Isaiah 53 says, He is the only one who was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their face, He was despised. We, who needed Him most, esteemed Him not even though the Bible says He is the one who bore our griefs. He is the one who carried our sorrows. And yet, when we looked at Him, the Bible says we seemed Him stricken, smitten by God, not thinking that we were the ones who had smitten Him. Afflicted. But the Bible says that He was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him the chastisement that brought and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then the Bible says this it is with his stripes, his wounds, that brought our healing. We who know him, we who have received him, we know what true comfort is. Now we sing about it, don't we? When we sing. For me, it was in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but he sweat drops of blood for mine. Would you sing it with me? How Marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We are not overcome by mourning. We are overcome by love. Only Jesus, let me tell you, only Jesus can offer peace to a world that is broken. 
Only Jesus can say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we love you. We are so amazed, Lord, as we stand in your presence to realize this great love that you have for us. That you, Lord God, did not hide yourself from our brokenness, but decided to come in the midst of our brokenness to come with healing, to come to make all things right again. Father, thank you that you have summed up the longing of our hearts in one person, in one way, in one name, Jesus. May his name ever be sweet on our lips. No matter the difficulty, no matter the heartache, no matter the good times that we may have, may we truly say that there is nothing in this world that can compare to Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.